Welcome to the Friendship and Fluency Podcast, Learning English with Andy and Stephanie. My name is Andy. Uh, I have been an English teacher for a number of years now, and I run an English channel called English Daily with Mamalsta Andy. And I'm his wife, Stephanie. We've been married uh, about 12 years, have three kids. Um, I've lived overseas for a number of years and am TEFL certified. So let's talk a little bit more about our story because our stories are interesting and intertwined with language learning, both mm-hmm. in our own lives, but also then teaching other people how to learn language. And that's a big reason why we wanted to do this podcast together, is to invite other people who are learning the English language, invite them into what we have learned, and hopefully to help them on their journey of learning English. So let's talk a little bit more about our stories, and then we'll introduce the podcast and give you an idea of what we'll be focusing on in this podcast. So I grew up in another country, even though my parents are American, so I'm a native English speaker, but for most of my growing up years, I was raised in a country in Southeast Asia, north of Australia, a country called Papua New Guinea. And so I was raised bilingual. I uh, grew up speaking American English and the trade language of that country, which is called Papua New Guinea Pidgin or Melanesian Pidgin. Like the bird? Not like the bird. It (laughs) sounds like the bird, uh, but it's spelled differently. A Pidgin language is actually a language that's made by mixing other languages together. And... Uh, an amazing thing happens with pidgin languages where these different languages get mixed and a new language almost out of nowhere is born. And this has happened in many different parts of the world. And after a pidgin language has more than a million native speakers, it should be called a creole, but that often doesn't happen just because people have been calling it New Guinea pidgin or Nigerian pidgin or Hawaiian pidgin. And the name just sticks. So I grew up speaking those two languages, and I could actually sing songs in Pidgin before I could sing in English. Mm-hmm. In that country, we were also surrounded by over 800 other tribal languages. So I grew up kind of a, a language soup mm-hmm. sort of environment. My mom was also a Spanish teacher. So language was a really important part of my story, even before college. When I moved to the Middle East for a year and started learning Sorani Kurdish during a one-year volunteering experience in the Middle East. After we met and became married and started a family and moved back to northern Iraq Mm -hmm. in 2016, then I became an English teacher. And I was an English teacher and a leadership trainer for about uh, seven years. How about you? Let's hear a little bit about your story. I did grow up surrounded by different languages and cultures. Uh, the, the state where I grew up when I was younger, I had a lot of friends who were from different countries. And then I moved a lot growing up for my, my parents' work. And so every new state, even in America, that we would go to kind of had its own interesting dialect differences. Um, I remember standing on the playground and yelling at my friend as a third or fourth grader, because 
in that particular state, the, the word that they would use for you all was youans. And I remember standing and yelling at them, what does that even mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but just from moving so much and seeing um, differences in language and culture in the different states, uh, that really set me up to love language, love culture. And then uh, coming here for college, uh, the city we're living in has so many uh, different nationalities and love the variety. So obviously all of what you said about moving, moving to Northern Iraq applies to me because I was with you. <laughs> so two, two interesting things from your story. One, your parents are from New York, one of these Northern cities in America where they have a peculiar English dialect, something that linguists have called the Northern cities shift. It affects the vowels of your American English, of your parents' American English. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yours a little bit. For example, I say both. Mm-hmm. You say both. I say both. With an yeah. L, an L sound in there. Yeah. My uh, family is originally from the Philadelphia area. And so there are dialect differences to, to that area as well. Mm-hmm. When you lived in Western Pennsylvania, for the second person plural, they wouldn't say you all. They would say yins. 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 Many people know about the, the southern part of America, how they say y'all. Uh, in Philadelphia, they say use guys, use guys with like a Z sound at the end. Um, even in America, there's lots of different dialects uh, that particularly affects uh, your vowels, usually how you use your vowels. But then when we learned Kurdish together, I had a head start. I had a year head start. And then you passed me in Kurdish. Mm-hmm. You got fluent faster in Kurdish than I did, people would say to me, wow, uh, you know a lot of proverbs, but you kind of sound like a robot when you speak. They would say, oh, but your wife, when she speaks Kurdish, she sounds like a songbird. Uh, You just picked up the Kurdish language really well. And not just the words and the grammar, but maybe one of the hardest parts of language learning, which is the accents and the pronunciation the intonation. Mm-hmm. You have some good experience language learning in mm-hmm. Kurdish, and then as well as homeschooling our children and really teaching each of them mm-hmm. uh, to read and write in English. And also, we've helped them to learn some Kurdish. You've had different uh, opportunities to teach in different educational settings as well. We both love language learning, we both think language is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So, for anyone who's listening to this podcast and is learning English, Let's share why we love language learning. Mm-hmm. Because language learning can be hard on some days, and we need to remember some of the rewards uh, in order to be motivated. So why do you love language learning? What is it about it that uh, you find really wonderful? I love the people aspect of language learning. Uh, from a lot of people's perspective, you know, language learning can be very individualistic. You know, you can be sitting in your room, spending hours a day studying vocabulary lists or taking tests. And you, you can learn that way. But I think what I love about language learning is how it connects you to people. It allows you to enter into their life. It allows you to learn from their experience. It allows you to see yourself through someone else's eyes. And because that language is always coming in the context of a particular culture, you also get, as you learn language, you get new cultural insights. And I think anytime you get that, 
you learn more about yourself, good and the bad. You learn more about kind of the beauty and the bigness of the world and how in each of our own cultures, you know, we have a particular piece of that, a particular way that it's represented, but every culture has something to to bring to that conversation. Mm-hmm. So when I see people in the park here in America that I can't talk to, uh, it makes me sad because I want I want to know them. I want to be friends. I want to learn. And yeah, language really enables you to do that. Two of my top reasons are definitely related to yours. I love language learning for the friendship that it can provide. I love the ability to connect with people in their native language and the ability to build friendships in their native language. And also, I've been so blessed by friends who have learned English, have learned my native language. Mm-hmm. And so we've been able to become good friends or best friends because of that hard work that they did to learn my language. Mm-hmm. So the friendships, I think, are one of the very best rewards of language learning. And also, similar to what you mentioned, I love how learning a new language gives you new eyes to see the world. You can think about life. You can see life almost with a different pair of of glasses, a different pair of lenses or eyes. So for example, in English, if we want to talk about something being very clear, we say that it is crystal clear. We use a crystal to talk about this idea of clarity. And I remember being on a picnic in northern Iraq one time with some of our students and they caught a crab on this picnic. And one of these students said to me, teacher, do you know that in Kurdish, we can say clear like a crab's eye. And up until that moment, I had never really thought about the fact that crab's eyes are very clear. They're like made out of clear jelly mm-hmm. and similar to crystal. And so now I had a new way to think about the idea of clarity because I had learned Kurdish. It helped me to think about this idea, think about the world in a slightly different way. Or I I love this other example. In American English, we say it's a piece of cake to show that something is easy. I don't know if it's referring to the ease with which you can eat cake or make cake. Eating cake. Eating cake is easy because it's delicious. But uh, in Kurdish, they say it's a salad, which is just so fun and funny to me. Like the the basic cultural assumptions there are just um, very different and yet so similar. Because it's so easy probably to make a salad. Well, compared to dolma Mm -hmm. and yaprach and serupe. Yes. yes. So these different languages uh, have given you a different way to think about things being easy, different way to describe or illustrate things being easy. Mm-hmm. And language learning is always doing that. It's always giving you a new way to think about the world. And that's that's part of the reason why it can be so much fun. And I think it's important that we remember what we love about language learning, especially in those seasons where it feels like our brain is just foggy and it feels like we're studying, but we're not really learning anything. Everyone experiences what we call a language learning plateau mm-hmm. where you you don't feel like you're going up and making progress anymore. You just feel like you're stuck. Mm-hmm. Really, you're, in those times, your brain is learning, but it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. In those times when we feel stuck, we need to remember what we love about language learning. 
to keep going and have the motivation to keep going. Mm -hmm. So in this podcast, we are going to talk about some of these rewards of language learning. We're also going to get very practical. We're going to talk about some aspects of English grammar, some American idioms, um, poetry, different aspects of the English language that we think will be helpful, but also fun and interesting for mm -hmm. our listeners. So today, let's both share just one principle each mm -hmm. that we have found very important for language learning, both for ourselves and also for others that we've helped to mm -hmm. learn language. I'm glad you didn't say the most important one because I don't know that I could pick, but I think the first one that comes to mind is to really cultivate humility. I think a, an openness to trying new things, even when you don't know that they're going to turn out well. Embracing the fact that when you start learning a language, you are going to sound like a baby and then a two-year-old and then a 12-year-old and hopefully one day, you know, like a fully functioning <laughs> human being. So I think just embracing that that's part of journey. It's an intentional kind of making yourself vulnerable and weak in order to get a reward. Mm -hmm. um, and the reward being language, friendship. And I think an aspect of being humble in that is also not trying to do it alone, finding a good friend or finding a support group, asking people what they think, being willing to ask, how's my accent? What do you think I need to work on? I don't think everybody needs to be asked that. Lots of people have opinions, um, but maybe one or two trusted friends who have some knowledge. Humility is so important. And when we talk about humility, we mean not being proud, right? Not the, the wrong kind of pride. You know, there is a good pride, a good sense of accomplishment and being competent, being capable. What I've seen sometimes is that people, when they're learning language, they can be so afraid of looking foolish or of appearing weak that that keeps them from trying, keeps them from trying something new when maybe if they tried that new way of learning language or that new conversation topic, it would lead to greater growth. One way to test humility is if we're willing to be weak, if we're willing to be beginners in something in order to grow? And then are we willing to laugh at ourselves? Also, when we make mistakes, and <laughs> one thing we're going to do at the end of each of our podcasts is to share one of our language learning mistakes, one of our funny mistakes, or a language learning mistake that someone else uh, in our family or friend group has made. Mm -hmm. And in order to just help everyone relax and know making mistakes in language is very normal mm -hmm. and can even be a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So make sure you listen to the end of this podcast because we'll be sharing our first one at the end of the podcast today, a mistake that I made during my first years of learning Kurdish. I think for me, one principle that I always come back to is this English saying, it goes, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And the idea is when you have a huge project in front of you, a huge task, if you focus on how big it is, you're going to be discouraged and you're mm -hmm. not going to have a lot of hope. You're going to feel like, I I'm never going to be able to finish this task. 
language learning is a big project. Mm -hmm. The English language has hundreds of thousands of words. Mm -hmm. It's a big language. But really, any language is a little bit like an ocean. It's a huge thing. And so you think, how am I going to learn this huge ocean of words and grammar? And really, the most helpful way to, to grow and to move forward is just to focus on one step at a time. What can I do today? What do I need today? What's the phrase? What's the grammar principle? What's the topic that I need for today? Mm-hmm. Let's focus on that little bite of the elephant today. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, you'll look up one day and you've eaten half the elephant or almost all of the elephant if you just keep going. So I love that principle because it helps us to not be discouraged and to focus on daily steps that really lead to true progress. For the rest of our podcast today, we're going to talk about a famous and classic English poem called The Road Not Taken. This is one of my favorite poems. I've had it memorized since I was 13 years old, thanks to an excellent English teacher that I had in eighth grade. And... It's a good way to think about important ideas, but poetry can also be a great way to learn new vocab and also to memorize part of a language uh, that uh, brings with it an aspect of beauty mm-hmm. and depth and uh, that, that is uh, something that you can discuss with mm-hmm. other native speakers of that language. Mm-hmm. So I want to share this poem and then we'll talk about the meaning of the poem together, and we'll try to get some useful vocab words from it. So this is The Road Not Taken by the poet Robert Frost. This is how it goes. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other, as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear. Though as for that, the passing there had warned them really about the same. Both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the road less traveled by. That has made all the difference. Now, many people in American culture, they think that this poem talks about how it's better to choose the less traveled road, the road that fewer people are traveling. And perhaps that's the meaning of this poem. But when I did some research into the history of this poem, poet Robert Frost wrote it about one of his friends that he used to go on walks with in the countryside. And this friend was always second-guessing, was always doubting the decisions that he had made about taking this path instead of that path. Mm -hmm. He had a hard time accepting the choices that he had made, even walking in the countryside. He wondered a lot, well, what would have happened if we had taken that road? And what would have happened if we had taken that road? And this was something that his friend struggled with. And this is where Robert Frost 
got his inspiration for this poem. So really this poem seems to be about looking back on your life choices and thinking about them and wondering what would have happened if I had taken a different path in my life? What would have happened if I'd taken another mode? Maybe this involves some regret. Maybe things would have been better. Maybe this involves some self-doubt. Not sure I made the right decision. And so that seems to be the meaning of this poem, that each of us, we look back, we reflect on the life choices we've made that we can't change. He left the first road for another way, and yet knowing how way leads to way, he doubted if he would ever come back. He said, I'm going to leave this one for the future, but I don't think I'll ever have a chance to come back here again. There's no guarantee that that same opportunity and I, I like that as he stood there and tried to decide, he tried to see as far ahead mm. as he could yeah. into the first path. I think as as humans, you know, we generally don't like taking risks. We don't like not knowing how things will turn out. And yet there are decisions we have to make and we, we don't know the outcomes. Have there been any, any decisions in your life that completely changed? the direction of your life. Had you not made that decision, your life could have ended up completely different. Probably many of them. There's so many big life mm-hmm. decisions. Where, where will you go to college? Who will you marry? What will you study? If you had chosen a different college, if I had chosen a different college, we might never have met because that's where we mm-hmm. met. That's sad. And our lives could be- I think we still would have met. <laughs> maybe destiny would have brought us back to meet somehow. College, who you marry, what kind of work you choose. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the meaning, getting into the meaning of this poem. Let's talk about some useful vocab words that come from this poem. So he says, two roads diverged. What does it mean to diverge? Not a very common word. I believe di is a Latin root, right? Meaning two? That's right. I believe it means, you know, it goes from one path into two. Yes. Forks off like that. To diverge is like to to split. Yeah. Right? So if a road two roads diverged, they they didn't come together. It's the one road split off mm-hmm. into two and they went different directions. Right. Which is the opposite of converge. I think yeah. converge would be when they come together. To come together. Yeah. Yes. Now those are some good opposites. Diverge is to come apart and converge. To come together. Mm-hmm. He says they diverge in a yellow wood. What does he mean by wood in that setting? That's not a, it's not as common of a yeah. usage of that word. Typically we would say the woods. Mm-hmm. Right? We wouldn't make right. it singular like that. And uh, what does that mean? What does woods mean? Just a bunch of trees. Yeah, forest. <laughs> a forest. Yeah. Very wooded area, an area with a lot of trees and forest and, and mm-hmm. animals. So if we say a piece of wood, we're talking about like a just like a, a log, a, or, log, a branch, mm-hmm. a chunk of wood that maybe you can pick up or put in your fire. But if we say a wood, mm-hmm. that means a forest. Yep. Uh, a big group of trees together. The poet says that one of the roads bent in the undergrowth. Mm-hmm. Now, undergrowth is not a super common English word either. Mm-hmm. If you think about a forest, imagine a forest in your mind. Underneath the trees, you have these smaller plants growing, Mm -hmm. bushes and 
smaller trees and other kinds of flowers or other things that are growing. And it's, it's actually a very direct word. Mm-hmm. Undergrowth means what is growing under the trees. So that's what undergrowth means. It's not a super common word, mm-hmm. but it's important to understand if you read it, and especially in descriptions of uh, geography mm-hmm. or plants and nature. Is underbrush the same thing? Yes. I've, yeah, that's I've right. read that a lot in different literature. He says that one road has the better claim. What does it mean to have the better claim? How would you describe that in simpler English? There's a better reason for going down that path. There are obvious reasons when you first look at it that meet the eye. It looks easier or more people have traveled down this road, so it must be a Mm. better road. Or it looks like a shorter distance between here and and where I want to go. I would think... Better, better reasons. Yeah, better reasons, uh, a better case Yeah, to go this way instead of that way. Mm-hmm. Later in the poem, he says, I shall be telling this with a sigh. What's a sigh? <sighs> <sighs> oh. Yes, that noise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that noise, that action. That's a, that's a sound of that's a sigh. regret or... Remembering. Remembering. Even. It could well, be a happy memory. You could be sighing as you remember something good. Usually it's it's somewhat negative. When would you sigh about something good? Maybe remembering a really special time of life. Now things are different. Things might be good now, but it's a different kind of good. You might look back to an earlier season of life that was really enjoyable, and you might sigh. Mm-hmm. Those were the days. It still has an element then of regret. A little bit. A little bit, that yeah. it's not that way Because some things, now, things have changed. In some way. At the end, the, the poet says that the road that he took made all the difference. What does it mean if something makes the difference, makes all the difference? A simpler way would be to say that that decision, it affected everything. It had an effect that changed the course of his life. It wasn't just a insignificant or not important decision. It really did have a big impact. Yeah. And so if we're talking about learning English, for example, we Mm -hmm. could say daily practice makes all the difference. Or having a good friend makes all the difference. You can use it in, in all kinds of situations. This will change everything. This will affect everything makes all the difference. Mm -hmm. And usually it's a positive sense, even though in this poem it's a little unclear. Mm -hmm. Is it positive? Does he regret his decision? So that is The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Mm -hmm. And hopefully we were able to share (laughs) some vocab that is new or useful for our listeners. I want to finish today's podcast by sharing one of my funny language mistakes. (laughs) <laughs> when we first lived together in Sleimani, when we li- moved there as a family, sometimes it was hard to describe to people exactly where we lived. And so there was a, an apartment complex at the bottom of that hill that sometimes I would use to tell taxi drivers where we lived. These apartments were in English called the, the Apartments of Spring, Shokakani Baharan. And uh, one day I was trying to tell a taxi driver where we lived. And instead of shoka, the word for apartments or mm-hmm. flats in Kurdish, and I said, uh, we live behind Bokakani Bahra. We live behind the frogs of spring. 
And the taxi driver was a little confused. Where exactly are these frogs? Why do you live behind them? Right. After that, I never forgot the name of the of the apartment complex mm. because we laughed about it. And it was a good chance for me to be humbled and to mm-hmm. laugh at myself. Yep. The great thing about a language mistake is you always remember that mistake. And mm-hmm. so it's actually a great way to remember the difference between this word and that word. That's right. Shoka is apartment and bulk is frog. Mm-hmm. And it's always stuck after that because I made that mistake. Yeah. So. And then someday, you know, you can get to the point where you can tell your own jokes. You can tell your own language mistakes in, right. the, in that language. And then it becomes something that you can laugh at together. <laughs> That's right. So if you are learning Kurdish, make sure you know the difference between apartment and frog. Mm-hmm. And don't tell taxi drivers that you live behind the frog's spring. Well, friends, thanks for tuning in to this podcast. Please like and subscribe and leave a review as that will help others to find this podcast also. We'll be doing one of these podcasts once every week. So we hope that you'll join us for future episodes of Friendship and Fluency, Learning English with Andy and Stephanie. Take care. Bye.